Welcome back to What A Hit, son. Uh, sadly, I've been away from recording uh, the last few weeks after getting COVID, but fully recovered and ready to re- record today. Um, today, I'm joined by Thomas O'Connell, or at Tominator176 on social media. Welcome back, Tommy. Cheers for having me, bro. Oh, hope you're feeling better. Oh, you're thanks, better anyway. thanks for that. Um, and also joining us today, making their <laughs> debut <laughs> on the podcast, we have uh, Porig Bannon, aka Podge Bannon. Welcome, Podge. Well, Keen, thanks for having me. Ah, that's no problem. Happy to have someone new on. And also joining is Matthew Finley, aka Hatch Finley, uh, who's also joining uh, in the same room as uh, Podge. Two meters apart, also we're safe enough. <laughs> COVID safety. Exactly. Welcome both to the podcast. Happy to have new faces on. And uh, so Podge is a United fan and Hatch Finley is uh, an Arsenal fan. So don't don't worry, we're not going to uh, team up on Podge, even though uh, three of us are Arsenal fans. And tonight, I'm sure it'll be very kind of neutral and uh, fairly bantery tonight. Yeah, well, I think that uh, I don't think we have anything to gang up on him with. So... Uh... <laughs> We we have to have a one over on him first to gang up on him. I don't think, and we don't. So Emirates, Emirates cups maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, that could be it. Yeah, a handful of them at this stage. Yeah, the Emirates Cup is the FA Cup at this stage. They sponsor yeah, that yeah. too, don't they? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I suppose best thing to start off with tonight is obviously we've just seen the FA Cup draw, and we were just talking about it obviously before we started recording. So. Um, looking through uh, the draw, it's uh, Everton versus Man City, United versus Leicester, kind of are the two standout kind of fixtures in that. So obviously, pa- uh, Podge being a United fan, do you think that's a, a good draw for yourselves, obviously, for the, the quarterfinals? Um, I suppose at least we didn't draw City anyway. But I think actually being away from home, is going to help us because we have a good record away from home and we have a good, decent record against Leicester as well. Um, so I'd be confident enough of our chances of getting to another semi-final and we'll see how that goes from there. But I suppose it's good to see City get someone other than the weakest team in the draw. So they'll be they'll be challenged definitely away to Everton as well. Yeah, exactly. Like It's, it's definitely going to be kind of... Um... An interesting draw, interesting quarterfinal. Kind of when you look at that, like there's going to be at least another two big names kind of knocked out of the the tournament kind of before the semis. Um, which you do question though with these draws, like they happen to Chelsea have escaped kind of again nearly, um, from a difficult team. Like there's always one team that seems to be kind of favoured throughout the 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 tournament nearly as well. So um, I suppose kind of. Looking at kind of the results in the last, obviously, the last few rounds and that, um, kind of who do you think kind of stand out as the favourites, I suppose, for the FA Cup? Put that question towards you, Hatch. Yeah, well, I suppose you can't really look past City too much, can you? Um, I think it's 12 in a row, 13 in a row they've won now. It's a record in England, just set their return the week, so it's going to be fairly hard seeing them being beaten, but I suppose in the Cup, you never know. Arsenal have often caused an upset in semi-finals, so... That's possible, I suppose. Yeah, and and I suppose uh, when you look at it, like City aren't even playing with a recognised striker a lot of the time, especially the last few weeks. Like they're playing the likes of Foden's been playing up front, Kevin De Bruyne um, played up front. They've had Maris, I think at one point was had a stint up front. Like they're 
And then, obviously, Gabriel Jesus hasn't been hitting the form to start for them. So, obviously, he started the other night for them. But um, it's definitely different seeing kind of other players step up to the plate in the in the absence of, obviously, Aguero, who's who's a huge loss with injuries that he's having this season. Yeah, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's actually kind of helping them a bit, if I'm being honest, not having a recognised striker. It seems to have been like, it's brought other players into play, like Phil Foden obviously was always a great talent, but he's after turning it on completely over the last couple of games. And um, I think the last team to beat City in a cup competition was actually Arsenal in the semi-final last year. So it's a good record Pep has. Pep has good records in these cup games, whether he's winning the FA Cup or the Carling Cup or whatever it's called, it's the Carabao Cup now, um, which is, seems to be his trophy every year since he's been manager. So, because they have a final against Spurs, don't they, in the next couple of weeks and that as well. So, yeah, I think I think um, City United, obviously, are, are probably my two favourites. Chelsea, I don't know. Like It's all on the day. That's the thing with cup competitions. You have a team like Arsenal who can win the FA Cup against City in the semi-final and Chelsea in the final. That should be taken as an example that it's all on the day um, and anything can happen. So, yeah, I, I still think City, probably. I don't know if I want them to because I, I don't know if I want them to do the double because I think they have a good chance for the Premier League now as well. Seem to be kind of pulling away a bit. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting. You want to get to the meat and drink of a cup competition and see um, the big teams play each other. Yeah, and then I suppose then you look at the other teams there. Like, you have Southampton, Bournemouth. So, looking at that, kind of fixture you'd probably think it'd be Southampton probably would win that with the the talent they have up up top and then you've got Sheffield United will play either Chelsea or Barnsley depending on uh, the match result tonight um Chelsea and Barnsley currently playing I think it's still nil all in the in the game um but kind of looking at that you you can't really see anyone other than um United City kind of now for all we know there could be an upset in there like Everton could beat City or Leicester could beat United you know because they have both have been performing this season but I still think City are probably the favourites I agree with with kind of Ollie on that um and then who's been the surprise team I think for each in the in the the, the FA Cup I actually think Everton and Leicester are doing well because they don't usually put a cup run together. And while they in the league, they're always there, thereabouts to be top half teams. They don't usually put cup runs together. So it's good to see someone like that in the latter stages of the cup. Um, then obviously, I suppose, Sheffield and Bournemouth getting to a quarterfinal is, is the big shock. But I would think both of their cup competitions will end at the quarterfinal stage. Whereas you'd give everything a less or Leicester a chance of reaching the semi-final, and if they reach a the semi-final, then with at least one of the Manchester clubs gone, if they're true, there's every chance they could go on and win it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's 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 definitely interesting <laughs> to see. Like like watching the the game last night. Um, obviously the Spurs Everton match. Yeah, what the way it was going, you you couldn't write who was going to win that game. It was so <laughs> tight, like and literally end to end. I honestly thought even in extra time we were going straight to penalties even after Everton scored I, the way Spurs were attacking and Everton were just sitting back I I, I I honestly predicted that definitely this was going to penalties but lo and behold Everton held held it up and Ancelotti must have been definitely proud of his players to um, 
get that result, you know. And now they've got a, a tricky game, but I suppose them playing at home they're, and how they've been performing at home, it's it's a good tie for them and definitely makes them um, give themselves a challenge um, to get into the semi-finals. Um, I suppose moving on from there, kind of obviously looking at Everton and Leicester, we're looking at uh, the Premier League obviously as well. And the question I kind of had, I put this towards you, Hatch. Um, who do you kind of see, um, myself and Tommy kind of predicted the last few weeks, who do you see kind of being the top four at the end of the season, kind of looking at how results have gone, especially even the last few weeks? Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to know, but obviously City, I'd imagine, will win the league probably quite comfortably. I think they're five ahead at the moment with a game in hand over United, so I can see them coasting the league maybe. Um United, I imagine, will finish in the top four as much as I really hope they don't. Um, Leicester, I don't know, like, I'm waiting for them to die off a bit too, but still in all, we said that a few years ago, and look what happened. Um, then I'd imagine Liverpool will get into a patch of form eventually, and I'd say they're probably City, Liverpool, and United, I'd say, will be in the top three and then a battle between Chelsea and Leicester for the final spot. But Chelsea under a new manager now, Players be keen to impress, and I pip Chelsea for the fourth spot. Yeah, like it, it, it's definitely kind of really kind of unpredictable. It's one of those seasons. It's very unpredictable. Like the stat, obviously, everyone's talking about is the amount of teams winning more away games than they are at home games. Like Arsenal's a perfect example. United have have won more, I think, more away games than they did home games. Like it's, it's one of those seasons. Like that you can see the difference without the fans and it's it's a killer like obviously we're not having the fans the only the only fan noise we get is the fake fan noise that they put on using from fifa or video game or whatever uh, in the background and at this stage i i refuse to listen to it because i'm actually sick and tired of listening to it because you know it's not real and you'd prefer yeah, I to i can't i can't stand it yeah i prefer i prefer to players yeah you prefer to listen to the manager shouting and roaring or listen to what they're actually saying because i actually find it interesting to to listen to kind of what they're saying to each other um on the pitch um it just brings back obviously when you're playing football yourselves and obviously on a sunday or saturday uh morning and listening to each other give out to one another and that's just just like that you know (laughs) you're so used to playing for the north fans are you (laughs) (laughs) I think you don't you don't yeah. get really get those fans, you know. Bring back memories. <laughs> um, I suppose then, um, from a United perspective, Podge, kind of where do you kind of see United finishing in the in the league, kind of come end of the season? I I'd agree with Hatch. I think City are in prime position to. Don't know if they they won't run away with the league like Liverpool did last year, but it's just hard to see them losing any games or too many games at this stage. So you'd have to fancy them for the league. If you're United looking at the table and the way it's gone so far, you'd be very, very disappointed to finish any lower than third. Um, none of the teams below them have been putting together too many runs of wins. So you'd be looking to, I suppose you'd be looking to stay second and just stay as close to City as possible and yeah. hope that they start to slip up. Leicester are probably in a similar position. They're just tipping away, getting results here and there and aren't, aren't falling away yet. Liverpool, you're probably the opposite in that you're just expecting them to get on a run and put five, six wins together and and close that gap or pull away from the fifth and sixth place team. 
But the table, it's a bit of an odd one with Everton still having their games in hand and Spurs and Villa. Like, wins there really change the complexion of the league table. I think Villa might be three points behind Liverpool with two games in hand, but then one of them games is against City, so you wouldn't be guaranteeing any points there. I think the other game actually might be against Villa. Um, but it's it's a hard one to know. And when European football comes back in, like Liverpool would probably think, right, Champions League is their... Well, it's their only hope for a trophy at this stage. Yeah. Um, Pep will surely want the Champions League trophy. And if they start to get ahead in the league, does he start to look at that and think, right, well, this is what I have left to win at City. Like, realistically, if Pep wins three English trophies and doesn't win the Champions League, you could nearly argue it's another failed season for him, the way they've spent and the way they've dominated England for so long that if they go another season without the Champions League, he'd... Um, He'll be starting to scratch his head and wondering what he has to do to to win it. Yeah, like it, it is one of those. It is one of those things with City. Like when you look at it, it's kind of nearly like the whole PSG situation, obviously in France. Um, that it's the one trophy that's missing from their cabinets. Um, that they want obviously to win, and if if he doesn't deliver that, do do City start to look at maybe he's not the right man to bring in or. Is it just we'll put more money, pump more money in to get ourselves a trophy? Like you look at obviously what happened with PSG, they got to a Champions League final, and then literally the next season, then Thomas Tuchel gets the sack, even though he brought got them to a final. Um, like I'll, I'll put this to you, Tommy. Do you think if if uh, Man City don't win, obviously the Champions League this season? Do you think the board will start to question is Pep the right man for the job? I don't know. Like, with, I think City and PSG, even though they're they're kind of owned by the not owned by the same people, they're they're owned by the, by, by the same people in the same part of the world, um, where they get their money from the same place. But I don't think they're the same as PSG. I think PSG. I'm not going to go as far as say as far as say that the, the French lead is a farmers league. It's not. They're they're definitely not as strong as Premier League, Bundesliga. Probably not even as strong as La Liga. But I think I I think if Pep leaves City, it'll be his decision. It won't be City's decision because like you look the the standard that Podge said there that that Pep's after setting for himself. Imagine saying that a team will will win three trophies and it'd still be considered a failure. Like, that's some standard to hold yourself to. Imagine, imagine, like, like that's true. Like, I, I totally agree with that. That if he doesn't win the Champions League, it's considered a failure for him because that's that's how good he is and that's his how high he sets his standards for his team. I don't think they will sack him, but I do think if he, if he doesn't go another... If he goes another season without his a Champions League, I don't know what his contract's like. I think he'll honour his contract. Yeah. So if his contract ends this summer... And they haven't won a Premier League. I think he'll or a Champions League. I think he'll leave. If he if it goes on till the following summer, I think he will stay and he will honour that. Yeah. But I don't know. It's 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 very much like it's it's a it's a hard thing because you're comparing. It's it's harder. I think it's harder for Premier League teams to win a Champions League because they're they're facing much tougher opposition week in week out than other European leagues. Um, and so fatigue is a factor and even before COVID the whole winter break thing where every other league got a winter break except the Premier League that was obviously a factor too obviously there was exceptions when United were winning it, Chelsea won it and Liverpool as well but 
You know, I, I don't think it'll be the be-all and end-all. I think it, it is his be-all and end-all at the end of the day. Like, he didn't win one with Bayern Munich. And Bayern Munich are after winning one again and are looking good to win the next one as well. So, um, I think he will have regret if he doesn't. Yeah, I'm not so sure they're the favourites to win. Um, if they keep the current form they have up now, yes, they have every chance. But I, I don't. I, in my eyes, they're not favourites at the minute. But it, I don't think it makes a difference. Like the way everything's going with European football at the minute, I think it's absolute madness the way it's going. Like I, I think it's absolute madness that it's being played. If I'm being honest, like with these refix, with these rescheduled fixtures, like you know they're not playing. The home and away ties are being played in Budapest, Bucharest, uh, Rome, Greece. They're not being played in their own venues. Yeah. So. There is no home and away, even though they're going to stick. I think they're going to stick to the away goals, which is absolutely ludicrous if they do, because it's it's a stupid rule, first of all. But to have a home and away or an away goal rule when you're not even in your own home or you're not even away from home, uh, like I don't know the way the Champions League and Europa League are going this year, <laughs> anyone could win it because there uh, there's no home ties because of COVID. So I don't know. I th- I think he will stay if they if they don't win. He'll honor his contract either way. Uh, will they win it this season? I'm not entirely sure, but I'm always usually wrong. So, <laughs> you know, it, 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 they, they could well do it now. I probably jinxed it. I said there was no chance for United to get top four, and now they're the only one challenging for the title. <laughs> so, well, along with City, obviously. So, you know, it just goes, show, don't ask me questions, Keith. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I suppose, I, touching on one of your things there, I'll probably put this towards yourself, Podge and Hatch. Um, Obviously, Tommy said it perfectly, and I totally agree with him in regards to, obviously, the fixture changes. Obviously, for the European competitions, they're now, obviously, playing them in different venues across Europe. Like, do you do you think it should just be changed to a one-leg fixture at this stage if they're playing them in, in different countries to where they should be? I am actually surprised they haven't changed it to the one-leg, considering it was successful last year. Now, I know they ran it off off over a shorter time period. Um, but there's so many different restrictions with the countries that I'm surprised it hasn't been looked at more. And it does seem to be that the English teams, like United, still have their home leg. I don't know if Arsenal's has officially been moved yet. All it the has, yeah. have been, it has officially. Um, it's, it's a strange one, given that a lot of the regulations are around the English countries. I know it's with the English strain of COVID. So maybe that's why we're just, we're more tuned into it but it does seem strange that they haven't just changed it to a one leg system for this season and again it's one you just write off it's a it's a once well we said last year was a once off because of covid it's a once off again kind of thing but um i am surprised and it's it could be the downfall of the european competition if cases start to rise again within squads with the extra traveling and traveling to different countries and all that uh, it could be it could be a big problem for this year. Yeah, I, I think the reason why it's centered around English and Portuguese team is because Portugal and England are, are on every other European country's red list. Mm. So no one can come in and out. That's basically the rule. So like you even see like Benfica are playing Arsenal in Rome in the in the Benfica home leg. Uh, Real Sociedad are playing Man United in Turin, you know, in in, in the Man Un- in Real Sociedad's home leg. Molda are playing Hoffenheim at home in Villarreal. You know, you know what I mean? And then that's just the Europa League. In the Champions League, Atletico Madrid host Chelsea in Bucharest in Romania. Borussia Mönchengladbach played their home leg against City in Budapest. 
the, uh, the night after Liverpool play Leipzig in Budapest in the, in the same arena. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I think you're right, uh, Podge, because like in order to, to keep the integrity of the actual competition, I think one-leg ties should be played all the way through in, in a neutral venue or in that kind of tournament style that they had um, at the end of the summer last year. Um, but like... <sighs> I don't know. I think it's it's madness, like you know, because Arsenal. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm a bit personal here, but Arsenal face Benfica in Rome, and I'll be up for it as much as anyone else. I want Arsenal to win, but and I'll be unhappy if Arsenal lose. But you know, not too not too far at the back of my mind, I'm questioning the wisdom of the game actually taking place because of the like. I know all the reasons why we're experiencing the current dilemma after 12 months. Like in which our perception of real life has been radically altered, but like, like, because we all think we're we're getting COVID immune with all the vaccines and everything, we want things to be normal again. And anything that feels like we had, anything that feels like normal, we want to cling on to. But like, I don't know. Imagine twelve months ago, I said to you, a Portuguese team aren't permitted to travel to England without mandatory fourteen-day quarantine. I wrote this down. Sorry, that's why I was saying this. And the English team can't travel to Portugal and return home without the same restrictions, because of the of the pandemic, which is killing hundreds of people every day. A, a thousand in England yesterday. Would your first thought be, well, where can we play the game instead? I don't think it would be. Um, like this whole professional bubble that, like everyone thinks exists around uh, professional teams, is 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 horseshit. And I think that. This the, when the European fic there, sorry, the internationals that's going to happen in March, like that's ludicrous as well. Uh, like that, that create more problems for more players, create more bubbles. I, I don't know. I just I think it's something that they ha- that they're just trying to rush games out because they want to, you know, have a European Championship that's supposed to be set all over Europe, as well. How is that going to work? You know, I just I, I don't know. I I, I think. They're just, they spent so much money on so many of these competitions that they're trying to get them out as quickly as possible and get as many games played as quickly as possible without thinking about the integrity of the players, the health and safety of the players and their staff that's involved as well. I think I think it's it's madness that they're thinking of two legs uh, at all, you know, but like, I think it should be played in that one system, bang, 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 play the games, there you are, fucking like Bayern Munich are playing the World, uh, the Club World Cup at the minute, you know, a system like that. But I don't think they will because they they want to play they want to play the European Championships this summer and they're going to do anything they can to make sure that happens. And unfortunately, I think every team are, is prisoner to UEFA and FIFA um, because of that. I think anyway. Yeah, and I suppose then touching on that, like I, I, I put this towards you, Hatch. Like Tommy um, touched it on very well. Obviously, there with the the health player safety um, of that, like. Is this not something, obviously UEFA and that were decided on bringing in concussion substitutions and that, which is which is great to see, still question the, the whole logic behind it, obviously with the whole incident with Diop um, the other night for West, ha- West Ham. Um, but do you think, obviously with the amount of games that players will be playing in the next, obviously, month, month few months but leading up to the Euros and that, like, do you think... Something needs to be done in regards to maybe reducing the amount of games that players are doing, whether it's obviously changing it to one-game fixtures, maybe cancelling the obviously the international matches or um, reducing the amount of international matches 
um, obviously to to help manage obviously what's going on in the next few months. Yeah, of course. Uh, alluding back to what Tommy said there previously about the internationals in March, out of all the games at the moment that are scheduled, like there's some sense in some of them, but like there's absolutely no reason other than lads trying to get a jersey to go on the plane around Europe for the Euros. So I don't know. I think if over 38 games, if it isn't enough for a player to make an impression, I I can't see what an extra two or three games will make no point to anybody is in March try to get your way onto a squad so I'd be definitely getting rid of the international break anyway and definitely getting rid of the second legs maybe in the Champions League and Europa League only that the European Championship got delayed from last summer I would have ideally said have something kind of similar to what they did last year in the Champions League or in the NBA even bring all the remaining teams into a country and play the games out there over the space of three weeks it's the same system for everyone so no one can complain about players being tired or ran ragged like so I definitely do that before the Euros, but I suppose now they have to fit in all the big competitions for the big monies, so it's kind of hard to see what they're going to do, but I'd definitely be getting rid of the internationals in March, anyway, 100%. Yeah, like, realistically, you're looking you're looking at the Euros, obviously, come, coming uh, later in the summer, and you're looking at all the venues they have across Europe. Realistically, with the way the situation is now, I don't see them playing the fixtures and all the venues that they have on on the list there's there's the way this obviously this covid thing is going i realistically i see it that it'll be across maybe three or four countries at most i don't see them playing them obviously you've got obviously dublin you've got london you've got um i think italy spain realistically you, you can't be playing in all those countries if some of them are red listed it's they're not going to be used um like what do you think obviously podge from your own end what do you think will happen obviously when say the euros goes ahead well you'd imagine they'll try bring the tournament to countries that can have supporters in it um that would be i think one thing that they look at i will They'll, they'll abandon the plan that the way they're doing it at the moment. There's no way that's feasible uh, yeah. to bring it all around to different countries in Europe. It'd be madness to be pure madness to try to do that. Um, I would think first and foremost to look at where they can get fans. Like Germany, I suppose it, then countries that have the infrastructure to hold it on their own at such short notice. Um, and then like you have the likes of Germany that probably could do that, but they have so many countries under. Um, well, they have England and Portugal on their travel list at the moment that the red countries. If anyone else gets to add it to that, then does that affect where teams can go and, and who can play? Um, and like this is all on top of that. They already have the headache of trying to organise the next few seasons around the, the Winter World Cup in Qatar. So there's a lot to try to plan that it's um, it's an awkward one for them. But just we were just talking about the, the health and safety of players. Even the Premier League not bringing five subs, that was madness. And that could end up costing one of the English teams in Europe when, especially, say, someone in Liverpool's situation who, who will probably be fighting for top four this year rather be, rather than being in a comfortable position. They can't make them five subs at the weekend where Munich or Madrid or Barcelona or whoever, they can do that. They'll, it probably will end up costing one of the teams big in Europe. Yeah, and I suppose that that's a, that's the perfect thing um, we we spoke about before myself and Tommy in, in a previous episode is this whole five substitution nonsense that every other league in Europe 
seems to have, but the Premier League have decided, nah, it's not not for us. And then you go see, I've seen it in, in the cup competitions that the FA have allowed five substitutions in, in some games. And then just for, um, just in the, the league itself, then the, they've refused to obviously have it. Uh, and even the, 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 the Premier League teams themselves, uh, majority of them said no to five substitutions and then yes to concussion substitutions. So it's one of those situations you don't understand what's going through a club's mind that they'd prefer concussion substitutions um, over having five substitutions when majority of the pl- majority of players are more likely to get fatigue rather than concussion injuries. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. At the start, when I when I seen that, it wasn't like unanimous that they could. That obviously the five subs rule didn't go through because it was it was unanimous that the Premier League teams voted on. I was like, Jesus, is it just the lesser teams, the so-called lesser teams in the Premier League that's voting against it because they think they'd be at a disadvantage against some of the other teams that have deeper squads? But I don't know. Like it's yeah, we've discussed it before about like how every other. Like league in Europe has the five substitutes, but England's the only one who doesn't. I think it's a it's a deep rooted culture of uh, of trying to be the hard man, of trying you know we're 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 a league which you know you know we're tough, we're strong, we don't need we don't you know I, I think it's a history of that. I don't I know it sounds ridiculous, but I think it's a it's a history of of thinking that they're invincible, like the Premier League a bit more than other players, but like it, it like Podge is absolutely right. It's it, it gives a severe uh, disadvantage to the uh, Premier League teams that are in the Champions League and Europa League because <laughs> every other team in Europe can make five subs, whereas Premier League teams can make three. Like, 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 I think a team like Arsenal would be crying out for um, two extra substitutes uh, to choose from. I think they would be like, um, depends you know, on what they're <laughs> well, uh, it, just, it just gives two two, uh, two more options to bring on Willian. Just gives two more chances yeah, for him to yeah. get on, and I think that's probably more than likely why. But um, like, I think as things stands as well, like talking about fatigue, it like the day the Premier League ends and the curtain raiser in the twenty twenty uh, Euros when Turkey face Italy is just nineteen days. Um, so like, it just goes to show how much everyone is rushing these games trying to get them out the door because we have to like the reason i and i said it before sorry i'm rambling but the reason i said it before is because um none of these teams had a real preseason, especially the ones that were in europe like united and when united were in europe city you know that the, there was no um pre-season for these teams and now after vote now they're after voting that um you know they, they're they're going to stick to three substitutes that was just it just made no sense to me. But a lot of things in sport is making no sense when it comes to, uh, you know, football. I don't. I don't think there's a lot of sense around. I think it's just money, money, money. And I think it's just, you know, we want to get these games out as quick as possible because, you know, uh, and I do. I do get it to an extent because everyone's so doom and gloom at the minute because we're all locked up. You know, football is 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 a form of escapism for a lot of us. It gets us. It nearly gets us out of the house in our mind to watch the team we love to play. But when that comes at the expense of of um, your team losing their top players because of fatigue or injury that or fatigue that results in long term injury, you kind of I don't know I don't know about you but I, you kind of lose 
your spark for it a small bit because you're kind of you kind of i know these are millionaires kicking around a pig's bladder but at the end of the day they're still they're still human beings and i think they're being treated a bit harshly at the minute as regards the scheduling and the whole subs thing and and a lot of that is shooting themselves in the foot by voting for no five five substitutes as well so yeah no i i still stand by that being a ridiculous decision yeah and i suppose moving on to that then another thing obviously that it's great to see come into football we've seen obviously the concussion substitutions come in and they uh the first one was used the other night uh in the west ham uh united match um but a lot of questions have been raised about the circumstances of that obviously with Issa uh, Diop he went down with uh, his head injury he was tested on the side of the pitch and within a minute or two came back onto the pitch um, and then ended up having to be substituted uh, for the concussion substitution uh, was it nine or ten minutes later do you think um, something needs to be done where like in obviously you see the blood injuries and in rugby or that um that uh the player has to be taken off tested off the pitch and uh in during that the substitution comes on in place of them um i'll put it towards you hatch as a man who got a few hits in the head over the years playing football i just think if um anyone at all who has to go deemed to get a scan or whatever on their head whether they pass or not i i don't deem them fit to go back out in the field really um all it takes is one second bang in the head again and could be brown bread like so I don't know I just think head injury it's all it's all well and good saying we need this lad to come on or we need this or we need that like but players welfare and safety should come first and I just think if you get hit in the head surely there's someone on the bench that's able to come on and replace you because there's no way you're 100% yeah like and then Podge obviously for watching watching the game other night kind of what was your kind of viewpoint on on seeing obviously that situation well, I think something like that, you could take a leaf from the rugby book where you bring them into the dressing room because when you're on the side of the pitch, adrenaline is high, emotions are high. The player more than likely just wants to get back out on the pitch straight away, especially in a big game like that. You don't want to feel like you're letting your teammates down. Whereas if you take them into the dressing room, take whatever, five or ten minutes, get them get their breathing back normal and, and make the assessment kind of, uh, I know there's no crowds at the moment, but away from the heat of the battle as such. Um, it would make a big difference in how concussion subs are used. I think we saw the same with David Louise and in the Wolves game a couple of months ago now at this stage, where, again, he got the bang in the head, continued on for a few minutes and got taken off at half-time. Um, now, I know there was no uh, concussion subs at that time, but it was one of them, again, he's probably just left on the field too long, and especially in a centre-half position where you're headering the ball and you're challenging for the ball a lot and bangs to the head do happen. It's not one where you want to be taking a risk. I would, I would think that bringing them into the dressing room, it, like it's very, it's very obvious to see if someone's after getting a, a nasty bang to the head. Um, I think bringing them down to the dressing room for an assessment rather than doing it onto the sides of the pitch where they're just going to want to get back onto the pitch as soon as they can. Yeah, like he, he, as you you've both touched on, like the rugby, that's what they do. They they bring them off the pitch. They bring them into the dressing room or whatever the designated room they have to test them and make sure that they're all same with obviously the blood injuries as well like it needs to be something that needs to be looked at like it's great to see it come in but the the situation from the other night just shows that there is more work to be done obviously to get this working correctly and to get 
the 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 substitutions right that there isn't a situation where we see a player drop to the ground late after after getting a concussion and obviously could be fighting for his life in the hospital or could be worse could pa- pa- pass um could lose his life like and that is the last thing like obviously we've had situations in the past obviously uh Petr Cech had to wear um a hat uh, a hel- like a, a padded helmet literally um because of the concussions he suffered um playing football like we don't want to see players having to take those actions obviously in in future games that they have to wear more protection like the last thing we want is to see players with more and more protection being wrapped up like like bubble wrap literally just to play a game of football um and it is going to be something kind of we're going to have to keep a close eye on to see um what's happened but even headway them themselves have come out and said that the the situation from the other night was not um what was not good enough and how that it was actioned and shows it more it needs to be done um and i suppose then another thing then that's kind of been raised the last few last few days especially and i suppose the last week and um, that's a negative in the sport is obviously racism or online abuse obviously we've seen with mike dean recently having to step down from refing this weekend with the pfa and then you've had the likes of axel twenzebi and lauren james um getting online abuse and then also rudiger coming out and saying that lampard when he was sacked he receives a lot of online abuse like do you think obviously with the online abuse side is enough being done on the, the social media side to combat this I'll probably start with yourself podge um in short no um i think that's a, a pretty obvious one that i i think this is a, a social a, a social media and society issue more than a football issue because the premier league or the fa or whatever there's only so much they can do um like one kind of point or suggestion i've seen used a lot is you need some form of id to start a social media account whether that be facebook twitter instagram um and it, it makes every account um someone's accountable for every account that's out there because it's too easy anyone could just set up an account and you're having a bad day yourself and you just go abuse someone online like there's there's no there's no sense behind it no one that's thinking properly decides that that's a good thing to do to just go out and abuse another person for any form or for any reason whether it be racially or like Mike Dean for refereeing performances like geez we've all had days where the referee has absolutely gone against our team or whatever but the last thing I do be thinking is I'm going to go on now and abuse this lad or send death threats like I just I don't see how that comes into people's into people's head but I think social media does have a lot to answer for and I, I saw something today that a lot of the organisations in England have come together to write to Facebook and Twitter looking for more to be done. Um, I, I think that's that's such a huge issue. It's it's worlds away from sports, if you get me. I know it's been thrown into the, the mainstream news and sports news in the last week, few weeks especially. But it's just it's a it's a bigger issue that it's probably a full podcast in itself. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I suppose then, uh, same question to you, Hatch, but the question I'm going to ask you kind of is, 
do you think kind of there needs to be more punishment kind of included into this obviously with obviously the social media you could ban someone or on stuff like that but do you think kind of there needs to be more serious action taken in regards to punishing people who are kind of the responsible for kind of these um obviously death threats or racism towards players or referees oh yeah definitely like it's just it's kind of it's a cowardly act too like I, I just don't see what people are going to benefit from going online and giving out about somebody or racially abusing like it's just it's 2021 like it's that's not cool at all like like for example you have the Ian Wright case there I think it was a guy from Tralee was it Tralee in Ireland I think was racially abusing him online I, I don't think he seemed to get a bad going over really over they just had to go to court and I don't think going any further than there like it's totally embarrassing but I'd I'd 100% I'd 100% be up for um, people having some sort of sentence or doing something because it's the only way that people are going to cop on and realise that it's not good enough and no one has any time for it yeah and that's that's a perfect thing uh, I was going to touch on as well obviously the, the Ian Wright like it was a very lenient sentence I think he only got a fine literally because he apologised um, but an apology is too late obviously when the deed is done it's like trying to apologize to your parents when you've ended up breaking a plate or anything i know that's that's nothing to compare with obviously racism but yeah an apology is worth nothing when the action's already done nearly and kind of mentally obviously people can be affected more by this especially in the likes of racism like we've seen people who've gone to extreme lengths obviously where people have lost their lives because it's really caught up with them obviously over the years and that like something needs to be done because this met obviously when mental health is a big problem nowadays um especially with footballers and that or anyone pretty much racism needs to be tackled more whether it's social media obviously that you have to verify your account using a passport photo or some sort of id or uh and then if if you are responsible for racism you get your banned off the thing your account is deleted whatever way they have to do it and then obviously looking at the government side of it then you could um obviously give them um a time frame whether it's community service or time in jail or what what needs whatever kind of kind of punishment tommy what kind of punishments do you think should be given to to people kind of responsible for the this type of actions uh you throw the book at them you love the book at them completely um i i, ju- I just think a fine what's a fine now like yeah. how much was the fine is it was does the fine is is the fine mirror the act like yeah the fine for a racism is hundreds of thousands of euro in my in my opinion yeah was he was he fine hundreds of thousands of euro is he gonna look back on that and go oh i got you know, I I was tied up with Ian Wright. Is he gonna see look back at that with his friends in a couple of years and go, Oh, remember that thing with Ian Wright? Yeah, yeah. You know you know what I mean? It's Twitter and Facebook, especially Facebook, give these people a platform. Yeah. They give these people a platform to, 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 to voice their opinions. And it's like that, that it's not an opinion. Like it's it's not an opinion to be racist. Like it's it's it, it reflects the character that you are and I'm obviously probably none of us are in real position to talk about racism haven't never experienced it and we're obviously we're all probably white men and stuff like that but like it it just I it, it yeah it mind boggles me and I think the whole ID thing obviously it will be a hassle for someone when they're trying to sign up for it but yes that's a 100% an idea that 
that that should be taken on board because these people can just make an, e- an account like that on a different platform or on the same platform and just rename their their account it's it's typically them lads with no profile picture um who not only do the racist abuse but just do the abuse full stop like yeah. in the mike dean case i'm no i'm no fan of mike dean at all but like to threaten someone's family over a guy do, trying to do his job to the best of his ability like I, it makes no sense to me but like I, I give you an example i was watching a, an interview with callum hudson a there and like the interviewer like like twitter actually uh deemed that the monkey emoji isn't uh a racist um emoji when when if, if someone just puts so he could put up a post on Twitter or Instagram. I think Instagram as well has done it too. And if someone just puts a whole lot of monkey emojis, apparently that's not class as racist in their eyes. That's ridiculous. Um, like. So like, I, it just goes to show you what, what these companies think. And it, it's it's definitely just full of uh, white male suits who run them companies who have absolutely who who absolutely don't know what goes on in the real world at all. And you know these footballers, whether they're paid. Uh, 500 euro a week or 500 grand a week they're still humans that you know the <laughs> don't deserve this kind of abuse and you know the ian wright case yeah i just it's embarrassing not only to be irish when when you see it's a, it's an it's an irish guy who's done it but you know there's, there's, I, i've seen examples of a lot of irish people the people i even know who've, who've done it towards you know celebrities online and i haven't got caught let's say so it's nothing new, especially in Irish society. I, I was having a discussion in work before about people saying, you know, Ireland isn't a very racist country. And like, I just, uh, and then I, I just looked at him and asked, well, did you ever, um, did you ever hear of that foreigner song when you were in school? You know, the, the, the pee in the, pee in the pool when they go swimming, they take our job. You know what I mean? I just, I just looked at him and said, are you telling me you've never heard that song? And never laughed at it. And he goes, oh yeah, I remember that song. And I said, well, that's racism. That's discrimination against other people's cultures. You know what I mean? It's it's. I I think not only in Ireland. Ireland does mirror England in a way, as much as it pains me to say, because we get a lot of our views and and societal uh, tips from England. And I think that, as same way England has a deep root racism, Ireland does as well. And especially when it comes to emotion and sport. You know, we love we all love sport, obviously, but we don't take it so seriously that we're willing to you know threaten someone's family or threaten someone over their skin color you know what i mean it's it's i think some people just they take it there's no, nothing goes on between yeah exactly not nothing goes on between their ears it's only a piece of string and as far as i'm concerned these aren't people and the book needs to be thrown at them you can give them community service you can give them a fine the only thing that'll sort them out is a five to ten year jail sentence and the only reason they're not doing that is because they don't want to fill the jails up and that's exactly what would happen if that was an actual viable yeah. uh, punishment because there's so many. So I think it's up to these social media companies to not give these people a voice. Um, and the only way to do that, I th- and one of the ways to do that, I don't know if it's the only way, is what Podge said about the ID. That has to be taken in- into consideration because it's just so easy to get at a player right now. It's yeah. so easy. And I know that people are like, oh, they're leaving themselves open because of what they post online. No, they're not. That's their personal page. They can do what they want. They, they can could, post they... what they want. They can post about losing. They can yeah. post about winning. Um, it's not up. That That's not an invitation for you to abuse, racially abuse, or threaten. You know what I mean? It, so I, I think the Premier League and the FA, as much as 
they don't come for themselves in glory at the best of times. They've done all they can um, to try and unite with, you know, kick it out uh, and stuff like this. You know, players taking the knee before uh, kickoff. But they have to get, like, the government has to get involved now with this with, with Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And um, I didn't think anyone still used Facebook. I thought that was a dead medium. But, like, they need to get involved with those companies and sit them down and go, all right, here, look, regulations are going to come are going are going to come into place against your companies if you do if you don't do this. Yeah. Governance needs to dictate dictate to them now. I think it's time because it's just there's no point of someone taking a knee before a game and then the shite still goes on. You know what I mean? They, they're it's clearly not working. It's clear they're clearly not listening. And the only way these people will take notice of what you're of of okay the people who are racist will never realize they're racist because they just they're just deluded they think they're right but like the only way you get at them is cut off their communication cut off their voice don't give it to them because they don't deserve it so yeah, yeah i think social media companies need to need to do more yeah exactly and i suppose kind of the last thing i'll touch kind of on this topic then is obviously um i was watching sky yesterday and was it kyle bartley um from west brom was being interviewed and uh years ago kind of he he suffered really bad um racist abuse when he was playing for um rangers in scotland and uh, he took the decision to leave social media and he hasn't been on social media since and he says it's it's been a kind of a relief kind of for him kind of to be off social media that he doesn't have to deal with it but um he says it's very hard nowadays for a lot of people not to join social media obviously to stay in touch with people they know um obviously who might not be uh, local and obviously with the the circumstances kind of from obviously back in the past to what we have now kind of a lot of people um kind of socializing or that is done via online and that especially during these um situations at the moment um so i suppose kind of touch it um up to to you hatch kind of do you think kind of say if social media didn't um raise such so many kind of situations right now if social media didn't exist um kind of in these current days like the, like in the past do you think kind of we'd be covering this topic as much as it is now no no definitely not um it's just it's too easy of an option as uh, everyone alluded to really like it's just too much of an easy option for cowards to just come on and say anything at all like you like no one has any right to go on and judge anybody about anything get alone something that they can't control themselves that doesn't matter like like it doesn't matter what color you are what ethnicity you come from it's just there's nothing you can do like so it doesn't matter to anybody where you come from or what or what you do like so i just think nobody has any right to go online and just get on to people over nothing that's not even an issue like it's just it's just people trying to make a name for themselves and they are but they're not making a good name and that's just that's all they really have to say on the topic yeah and i suppose we could we could be here for hours talking on on this like it's such a, it's such a, a, a pivotal thing at the moment um and such a mainstream news kind of topic that is going definitely going to be in the news regularly um at least for the next few months until something's done um to kind of combat this um and we'll kind of like like many other things we've spoken about like it's got it's going to be something we're going to have to wait and see um i suppose we'll move on to something else um and a one big thing i think 
as as another big thing that's that's a problem in in the UK especially especially in England the Premier League is uh the three a three letter word that everyone hates to listen to I think at the moment which is VAR so P- Peter Walton came out at the weekend obviously um and said um the point is VAR is not uh, there to get the correct decision it is there to identify the clear and obvious errors from the referee or in fact the referee has missed something now <laughs> VAR is was brought in by many countries obviously to identify um, situations that have happened not not to obviously and for him to come out and say that it's not there to make the correct decision is absolutely disgraceful like I don't understand. Well, uh, I, he's right in a way because it happened, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, well, I mean, it has. I suppose it has in some cases, but I like it's. Look, it's it it just. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know if you're going to point this question towards me or the boys first, but just real quick on it, I just I think I don't think VAR is obviously the problem. I just think the use of it and the people and the interpretation the interpretation of some of the fouls. Like, I think fouls is probably the biggest thing at the minute. Um, inside inside the box or outside the box if it's possibly a red card. Um, I think the whole offside rule, as you know, as weird as that was at the start, I think we all. I don't know about you guys, but I think we all kind of know the rule on that now. If your if your if your toenail is offside, it's offside. So at least there is some sort of clarity there as regards that. So that can't be up. Op- that that's not open for open for interpretation. In, my opinion even though i think it's ridiculous in some cases at least they've made that clear so there's not as much i don't think there's as much uproar about offside decisions as there was at the start of the season am i right in saying that i don't know but i i think it mainly revolves around red cards right now and the interpretation of a red card like yeah the, i like the david louise one the the bednarak one um what other ones were there? There was Suchek. a few others as well, wasn't there? Suchek uh, for a West Ham. Suchek. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, Mike Dean had two howlers. Two two of them got, like, Bednarek and, and Suchek both got overturned, whereas David Louise's one didn't. Um, look, I, I, we can make a whole podcast on that as well. But, uh, I, yeah, here, look, I, I think it's it's the officials are being shown up to be not very good. Uh, like you can put a you can put a TV screen in front of Mike Dean and show him the mistake he's made and he still won't go back on it. Um, some have, like I think the Emil Smith Rowe red card in the FA Cup that was overturned. Like that was that, that was good use of VAR. But like there's only so much VAR can do when they go to Mike Dean. Hey, have a look at this. I think there might be something you need to look at. And he looks at it and still goes no. You know that's not VAR's problem. That's yeah. a refereeing problem. Um, specifically you know not only Mike Dean there's other refs that done it as well you know but like whoever was sitting in the VAR studio when David Luiz got sent off you know no one let Craig Pawson know have a second look at that just for a sec you know but about Peter Walton like didn't he say that the reason that Luiz got sent off is because he didn't try to play the ball but if he tried to play the ball it would have only been a yellow card and the reason he got a red card is because he didn't try to play the ball yeah, like so in, it's in, by, by by that logic, Diaz should have been sent off when he gave away a penalty against Salah because he didn't try to play the ball. But as far as I know, trying to grab someone's shoulder isn't trying to play the ball. He only got yellow. 
Now, I think neither of them are penalties. I think Salah dives. But, like, uh, it just, it, it, it's just a weird one. Like, because I've definitely seen David Luiz try and go for the ball, but completely miss it <laughs> and get sent off. So, I don't know. Like, what is the rule now? David Luiz, I think a lot of that red card came down to his uh, his reputation more so than nothing else. And I think Arsenal put themselves in those situations too often. So I'm not going to complain too much about it. But like, um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely the ref- the referees are shown to be not very good. Uh, I, I think I think VAR are expose- is exposing that very hard. But the same referees are in the VAR studio as well. And they're showing up to be not very good at watching the game. So you can give them all the tech. You can get here. Look, you can give you can give a monkey all the technology in the world, but he won't know how to press the buttons at the best of times. So I think these boys are are very much they're in. I think I I don't think they know what they're talking about. I think they're inept. And yeah, probably. I, sorry I, to interrupt you there. I just as you're saying there about David Luiz's past history getting to him. Uh, that's the point I had down here earlier on that he's picked up more red cards and conceded more penalties in the Premier League since making his debut for Arsenal in 2019 than any other player has in the league. And in just over 18 months, he's conceded six penalties and got three red cards. And at his time at Chelsea, he also had three red cards. So he's also, that's nine penalties he's given away in the English top flight. Only Ryan Shawcross and Jose Font have more. Like the common denominator is his previous record, so it doesn't read well. And I think a lot of referees are going back to that. Uh, and like Arsenal have had more, the most penalties given against them and the most red cards uh, by some distance since Mikel Arteta has taken over as well. So <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. Some of them were penalties. Most of them probably were penalties. In, <laughs> yeah, in definitely. Yeah. Uh, it's just I do feel sorry for him at this stage and in this one, but uh, but I do think it catches up with him when you have a reputation as such. I think that does catch up with you, um, but like the, like even the Salah one, the Salah one's not a penalty. It's not a penalty to me. That's a Salah dive, uh, and it's a yellow card for Salah. I don't I don't hate Salah. I don't hate Liverpool, um, but I still think that's a dive. I think the Bednarak one is the same as David Luiz one. You know, Suchek one. I don't know. I have an opinion that might upset Podge as well. The fuck the um, the fucking one that Bruno Fernandez had against Xhaka when he raked his studs down the back of a calf. I think that's a red card. Um, in the Arsenal United game, I think if Xhaka does that to Fernandez, I think Fernandez rolls around, and Xhaka gets sent off. Whereas Xhaka didn't roll around, and I and I and that's why it wasn't looked at by VAR. That's sorry, that's a personal opinion. I probably shouldn't have thrown that in there. But I just think it just goes to show that you know the interpretation of of, of rules and fouls are um, like there's no cohesion there. Yeah, and like I, I think I, Mike Wright. Go on, go on. Yeah, no, I, I was going to touch, I obviously ask, ask Podge his opinion, but like, do you think, obviously, referees need to be properly looked at, obviously, for the amount of errors that are happening, especially the last few weeks, I think VAR kind of really needs to kind of step in and they need to change the rules of VAR. VAR should be allowed to make correct decisions, maybe, if needs be. Or to stamp their foot down if a referee is wrong, like, and say, look, this is wrong, this is what needs to happen. Like, you look at the different sports, you look, obviously, the rugby at the weekend, and I think this is something that needs to be looked at. We can listen to what the, the referees can say. We can listen to uh, and watch back what the referees are looking at and everything and see what they're saying to each other. Why aren't we seeing that in football? Like, it's something... I do not understand. Like you watch 
obviously the Super Bowl is the weekend. Every decision, every flag that's thrown down, they announce it to the crowd. Um, what 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 the decision is in the rugby as well. You listen to the things, you watch back the playback. Um, why isn't it being done in on the football side? What do you think, kind of your end, Podge? Um, well, I think there's the way players and uh, officials interact in football as opposed to rugby is very very different like you don't need to be an expert in lip reading to see what players are saying to referees a lot of the time and i think that does come back to it that the i suppose that they go on about respect and all this but if a player in rugby spoke the way a footballer speaks to referees gone it's at least a same bin if not a red card i think that does come into it that maybe between media companies and referees and the players and everything they don't want to have them mic'd up in the same way that everyone can hear what's being said. But I think from the point of view of VAR, it has shown up referees in England more than anything else. Yeah. Um, they, they were crying out for technology for so long to help them with decisions. And I, I actually think there's been more bad decisions this season with VAR. Than, now, maybe it's just the way it's, it's gone this year, but same as last year, there just seems to be more talking points about bad decisions um, on a Monday morning or whatever, rather than talking about great performances. Like, I think a big thing with the, say, the Davilouise, the Bednarak and the Suchek, they all happened in in a close time to each other and two of them were overturned. I think the, even the result of the game affected why they were overturned. Davilouise's red card completely changed that game. Right, even if you give the penalty and give a yellow card and it's 1-1 going in at half time, it's 11-11 in the second half. But Hampton were 6-0 down and the West Ham game was just over when that red card happened. So it had no impact on the outcome of the game. And the referees board, they're not going to want to go at the end of the day or when they're reviewing it or at the end of the day, oh yeah, our referee cost Arsenal that game. They just won't do that. So it's very easy for them to say, oh no, no, that is a red card. You can see the contact, you can see this. I, I actually agree. I think Diaz, I don't see why that wasn't a red card if you're given a penalty. Like He was had no intention of playing the ball. Salah is in on his left foot in on goal um, I just I don't see a difference between it I, there might have been a covering player and maybe that saved them but still it's it's one that it's just the VAR has shown up the how poor the standard of English referees is and there was no English referees at the last World Cup and it's not hard to see why um, they're just like in years gone by you'd, you'd always when the top games were coming around you'd know who was going to be the referee because there was always one two maybe three referees that could handle the big games. The players knew what they could and couldn't say to them, what they could get away with. But now there's just error after error. And it just seems seems compounded that they can go back and watch the incident and still come up with the wrong conclusion. And at halftime or the end of the game, they go to a studio with four or five ex-players and they've all got the same opinion. They've all, they've all seen the exact same incident, the exact same replays. The five of them have the one view on it and that the referee has some somehow come to a different conclusion. Yeah, and I suppose, like, you're talking about the perfect thing there, like, obviously, with the, the VAR, like, it's it's something that I don't understand. Like, VAR is centralised. Like, the most decisions they've made kind of are, or looked, or most things they've looked at has been offsides. Like, I, I remember I was re- looking at the stats the other day. The highest percentage of things looked at is uh, offsides. They are more focused on the offside rule than they are looking at, say, um, certain decisions. Like, 
uh, other decisions that could happen. Like the David Luiz thing, I I still don't understand. As Tommy said, like when they're when they're trying to focus on player safety in the rule book, it's totally against player safety. Like they're expecting you to make a tackle tackle on a last man to get a yellow card, which could potentially break someone's leg if they connected in the, in the right way. Um, rather than if someone accidentally flicks off you, you're you're more likely to get a red card. You know, it's it's it. The the rules are very, are are really need sorting out especially with the VAR and whether I always think with the VAR situation I don't agree with just having referees in the watching back the video play I think there should be at least one ex-player or someone um to help make those decisions because I find the referees it's showing now the referees are making wrong decisions especially this season especially last season and it's the only league I see I've watched in Europe that seems to make more wrong decisions using VAR than they do right decisions. I've seen watched games in Spain, I've watched games in France, I've watched games in Italy using VAR and there's been a percentage maybe of wrong decisions but very few yeah and probably probably the reason why they won't put ex-players into into those studios and or into unless they're forced is because they don't want to be undermined now yeah. i i do feel sorry for refs to an extent because it's it's a horrible job um like you, like yeah the reason they're, the refs aren't mic'd up is because the amount of, of abuse they get from players um is unheard of but like <sighs> Like Italy and England are the only two countries in in Europe, or I don't know if it's the world, but definitely in Europe, who have professional referees. Everyone else is a semi-pro, um, and we and who who do we think the best referee in the world is right now? It's definitely probably not from either of them countries. Yeah. Um, definitely not from England anyway. No. Um, but like I, I just I just think a lot of the English referees want to be the center of attention, and I just I don't I, I don't think any of them just want to be in the background. And ref a game. I think a lot of them, like I, I, like if I was a ref, I'd want, I'd try my best. Unless absolutely, it had to be. I try my best to keep eleven players on, on, on for each team on the field to keep it as fair as possible. Like unless it was absolutely um, necessary. Like if I was a ref, I'd be on that screen the whole time because I'd be like, okay, I'm going to tr- look for reasons not to send you off instead of looking for reasons to send you off. I think that's the mentality. Every time they look at something, they're looking for reasons to send someone off instead of instead of to not send someone off. I think that mentality has to change in referees um, in order for that to change because like, I, I just think they want to make these big decisions because they want to have the headlines. I think good publicity, any publicity is good publicity for them. And there's no accountability there. And that's mainly because Mike Riley, who's the head of the referees, wants them protected. I can understand why he does, but it's 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 to an extent now is where they're untouchable, completely untouchable. And, and that's it's been that way a long time since before VAR. Um, the only person who had any sort of uh, influence over them was Alex Ferguson, and that was that was and that was admitted by Mark Clattenberg in an interview. Whether he said it tongue in cheek, I don't know. But like I think the pre- I don't I think the pressure like there's no pressure from crowds or anything right now for the refs to make decisions especially for home teams. So I think they're just I think there's I think they're just not very good. I think that's the problem. I think I just don't think they're good. <laughs> they're not good referees and they're being paid a good wage to be professional referees and they're just not very good. So if you, VAR 
I still agree with it. It should be there. But yeah, I think throwing an outside um outside perspective into that room need, needs to be considered, but I don't know if it will be. I think a big issue with the pitch side monitors is if a referee is getting sent over there having made a decision, it's already in his head that someone thinks I'm wrong here. Yeah. And he's not going over there to look at the incident. Like he's not being told to go over there that oh you made a great decision, go have a look at this. Someone's obviously been in his ear and said here, we think you made a mistake. Go have a look at this. Have a second look and see what you think. And that that is a that's a big factor. That it's already in the ref's head. I've made a mistake here. I kind of have to change my decision because someone's already said it. But I think as for the, having the ex players, like that just it's another opinion. All we actually need is people that can enforce the rules properly. Like yeah. the rules are there. Like if you put five people into the room and and three say it's a red card and two say it isn't then you still have a debate. If you have two people in the room and one says it is and one says it isn't, all you actually need is people that can enforce the rules properly. Like, the rules are there and, okay, with tackles, sometimes there's there's a bit of leave or there's a bit of a grey area. Um, was it intentional? Was it dangerous? Or was it mistimed? And all that kind of thing. But I think just having an extra person in there, whether it be an, another referee or an ex-pro, it still just creates another opinion on the matter. Whereas what you actually need is people that can know the rules and enforce them properly. Yeah, absolutely, because there's there, there's no accountability whatsoever now, and I, I think that that's actually probably a better option. Like fix the rules itself and then enforce them, because rules are no good unless they're enforced. If you just throw a rule book at someone and say have a read of them, and then there's no one to actually take someone up if one of the rules is broken or breached, like there's no point in that rule. So, yeah, I think that would create another opinion. I didn't even think about that. Um, and, and it would just it would just be the same result in the end of the day. And I think a lot of these refs are, are, are too proud to, because you're dead right, they're going over thinking, oh, how can I be wrong here? You know, I can't be wrong here. I think a lot of them are too proud to overturn their own decision. And I think that's a problem that needs to be, they need to suck that up. Like they need to go, well, it's not about you. It's about what is the right decision. And there is, there's always going to be grey areas, even in the sports that we cite as examples for doing good things. There's grey areas in them sports as well. But there's the, the reason that there's less issues in those sports is because there is an enforcer of the rules. There is a clear-cut pattern as regards what the rule is. And those grey areas are smaller. They're not as big as in football. In football, the grey areas seem to grow every game. But in games like rugby nba nfl the gray areas are small so whenever you know some a, a, a controversial decision is being made the margin you know the gray area is so small that you know it's not as big of a headline that, because it's not seen as much of a disgrace so yeah i think an enforcer i, I don't know if the premier league can can be more of an enforcer there i think they have to be because it's their league that these refs are reffing in so i think maybe the premier league the fa have to have to grab the bull by the horns there and, 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 and communicate better with the referees as regards the, the rules and the enforcement of the rules as well. Yeah, boys, just seeing their, um, got an update there in the Chelsea match. Chelsea won the loop against uh, Barnsley, but there's no VAR tonight. Apparently Chelsea's goal was offside, so they couldn't, they couldn't check it. Jeez. So oh, <laughs> the God. couldn't be any sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's Chelsea's not too bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, that, that's another issue in itself in that some of the FA Cup and League Cup games depending on the venue 
Some of them have VAR, some of them don't. And I would either yeah. think that they're in for the competition. Or, or not. And I suppose that that's the thing as well with Europe as well. Like when you watch the Europa League, doesn't um the Europa League and the Champions League? The Champions League, a lot of the games have VAR, and then the Europa League, VAR isn't in play until like later in the the tournament, like the semi-finals or final. That's when VAR comes in, and it's something kind of that I think it needs to be kind of global across European competitions across the leagues that can actually put it in place that they can have VAR in, in place like like easily that Ch- Chelsea, Chelsea game could easily have uh, VAR in there like it's 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 an FA Cup it's last 16 uh, match should easily have VAR in place there um, and then obviously then looking at it obviously with the VAR situation it's it's ridiculous how it's become such a focal point kind of of the news like racism like um discrimination everything it's an online abuse it's such a big news taker it's clearly not working in the premier league and the thing i can see happening later down the line if it doesn't change if if the decisions constantly are wrong or there's too many bad decisions i see var being scrapped in the long run it's 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 one of those things that i i can see actually being kicked out because there's just too many issues happening with it in regards to obviously having the the obviously the rules when you look at rules obviously nowadays like majority of people when you sign up for something you you get this big long 20 24 page um thing that it's a that you that they say for you to read through but everyone knows when you get a big thing like that you're just gonna click the agree button you're not gonna even take the time to go through it and a lot of the time watching the referees performances i think that's what they did they didn't didn't properly look at the rule book and then they panic and then with var they literally take out the rule book and look at the rule book then and there you know to go through it and make the decisions which is why obviously the decisions can be poor like that's the that's the opinion i'm getting um obviously watching that nowadays obviously with the the english fa um kind of what do you kind of think from your end hatch yeah basically i can't really disagree with what you just said there um like what goes on in with the var just the whole just the whole of the league at the moment it's kind of it's overshadowing everything that like we're watching because you hear there's a result in some game you're not even watching and suddenly there's a big call and something that's after happening and you're after missing it and it's nearly outshadowing the main point of the game which is actually what's happening on the field and now we're just more focused on the 23rd man on the field instead of the 22 and forward that are actually the ones enforced what happens when it's been played but it's just such a big point that the referees is just the main the main topic at the moment and it's probably not for the better yeah and like like even the example from from the outside looking in like the Southampton Man United game like I I the only thing the first thing I heard until I looked up on Twitter was the sending off and the controversial sending off I didn't even know United won 9-0 like you know it 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 takes these decisions are taken away from the football talking points like how many people know uh, of Scott McTominay's like Unreal goal against Southampton, caught in the volley. You know what I mean? How, how, like, how many people know Bruno Fernandez is? You know, how many of these people know what happened in the actual game? Instead, uh, like, and not, who didn't watch it? Like, they only know that decision. 
And I think it's yeah. taken over the game a bit too much. Um, and I, I think it is taken away from the football. Like, even Arsenal and Wolves, like that. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Yao Martinez top in the goal. You know what I mean? Like, that was taken away from because, oh, if Arsenal had 11, you know, it's, it's that, you know. If Arsenal had 11, they still wouldn't have pressed the ball the way they should have. You know what I mean? It, it just it's taken away from the football, and it's not really um, it's not really fair on the, on the players in the way. You know, and it's and no one wants to hear about decisions. They just want to see the football, see the goals, see the tackling, see the defending. You know, they don't want to hear about referees and VAR the whole time. But unfortunately, as such, that's where we are. And I just hope it changes soon because I, I'm actually kind of sick of hearing about referees and VAR decisions. Hey, but it's just on that point as an Arsenal fan. Um, what did you make of Arsenal when they actually went 2-1 down and deciding, like, you know what, we'll take the 2-1 draw or the 2-1 loss really rather than actually going out to, to try to get something back. Like, I would rather lose that game 4-1. I don't care about scoring it. But actually try to make a genuine effort to go forward and try to get a goal. Yeah, Maybe like we'll lose by trees, lose by one. Like goal difference won't do us in regards. Exactly. Like we're not going to be, not going to be competing. I I totally agree with that. Like, and I just find obviously in games, obviously when Arsenal, Arsenal are uh, playing, obviously like you look obviously at the other other game the the other day, obviously um, we lost obviously against Villa, and he's bringing on you're bringing on Willian who hasn't performed all season since he signed on a free transfer and you've got the likes of Martinelli on the on the bench who you know is going to give his heart and soul to try and get a goal and you're picking a man who's not performing at all ahead of him I just don't understand like what the mentality in that Arsenal team is um kind of from that perspective that there, there, at times you look at it like they started off against Wolves really well. They were looked like they were, were going to score two or three goals at least, and then obviously, um, the the red card happened, and then from there, kind of, once the second goal went in, literally sat off, and I just don't understand it myself. I I suppose you're probably the same, Tommy. Well, I think they did try to be honest. Uh, like they put on a Bamiang. Um, I just think the second record. I think once you go down to nine men in the Premier League, you've no chance at all. I don't think you do. Uh, like, I, I like. I don't think they were trying to keep the two-one lead. I just don't think they could get out at all. I don't think they had the legs. They had the, the obviously they didn't have the manpower to get out. They had that one chance when Bellerin brought it forward and and, and laid it across the box, and there was no one there near the end of the game. Um, I, I think they did try. I just, I just think. They didn't have the belief to, to, to do it. I think Arteta did all he could there. I would have blamed him more for the Villa game because yeah. um, obviously a mistake at the start of the game. Typical Arsenal. Not only Cedric makes a mistake, but you know Gabriel stands off and then Rob Holden isn't close enough to Ollie Watkins. Uh, with bad defending all around. But like I think at the end, like Pepe was doing good. And then you move, I thought, uh, bringing Odegaard on, moving Smith-Rowe to the right, keeping Pepe on the left, and then bringing Saka to left back. I thought that was that was going, I thought that was working well. Uh, but when, pa- obviously, Party came off and Willian came on, I know Willian was going to come on anyway. I, I don't know if he was going to come on for Smith-Rowe or whatever. I think you have to sit Willian down and bring on Ceballos uh, for Thomas Party there. Because I think what Arsenal were doing there, especially against Villa, was working. 
like with Pepe and Saka on the left-hand side, it seemed it was it was working. And I thought if you just do a straight swap, Ceballos for Party, yeah, I know Ceballos isn't as good as Party. But if you do that straight swap, keep that same system, Aubameyang up top, Smith Rowe on the right, Odegaard behind, and then Pepe and Saka attacking from the left, I thought they would have found some joy. But like I think my my problem would have would have been more with the Villa game than the Wolves game because you bring Willian on, then suddenly you've two inverted wingers, uh, you know, and. Your, your Willian, who's naturally more of a wide player than an inside player, will try and hook the touchline and won't create that space for Saka to go forward. So I, I do understand where you're coming from with the Wolves game hatch as well, but I just think they just had no chance uh, when they had nine men. Like They did bring Aubameyang on, just, they just couldn't get out. Um, they, they basically gave... Arsenal shot themselves in the foot twice. You know, getting themselves in that in that position for the Louise red card. Well, it wasn't a red card, but Arsenal put themselves in that position all the time. The like, Leno one rise was un- unforgivable now. Like that, yeah, that wouldn't happen out in the garden. Like, like yeah, that's 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 a moment of madness from a guy who's had a brilliant season. Yeah, I stand for your but, that. I give that. But, but yeah, that's just I don't know what he's thinking. Like he has it. one rule in soccer: it's like you, you can't touch him with your hands outside the box. Like. <laughs> yeah, he, like, he, he he just completely misjudges it and yeah, then pan, so then pan, and then panics. Yeah. So um, yeah, here look, that I, 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 we had some chance with ten. I don't think we actually went for it as much when we had ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's no, probably yeah. my that's probably more my problem. Uh, with nine, I just don't think he, against a wolf, yeah. a good Wolves team. I know they were struggling, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I I don't know. Here look. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm less upset about the two results, uh, the two last results against Villa and Wolves. I mean, I'm frustrated, but I'm less upset than I than I would be when we lost in November, early December, in that horrible run of games oh. Arsenal went on. Uh, because I can see that we're playing, we have an identity now, and we're playing to a system. We know what we're trying to do. I think bringing Smith Rowe in, or just playing with a number 10 in general, um, Funnily, since Ozil left, we suddenly want to play with a number ten. Yeah. But like, uh, I think playing with a number ten in general creates more of a link. And I think I'm less upset now because Arsenal won the game, lost the games, trying to do the right thing. In my eyes, still frustrating, but I'm less upset because they have because Arsenal are a mid-table team right now. This is going to happen for the, this is going to happen. They they go on runs and then they lose games. That's going to happen to Arsenal this season for the remainder of the season, possibly in the next season as well, because the, the, a major rebuild needs to be done. So um, I'm less upset about the last two losses because I think I know what we're, what Arsenal are trying to do. Uh, but I'm, I will say I'm not confident about the next couple of weeks. Uh, Leeds, Benfica, Man City, you know, possibly Benfica again. Uh, I, I'm not, con- I'm, I must say I'm not confident at all. Um, I wasn't confident going into the Chelsea game, and then we end, then Arsenal ended up winning three one, and then going on a good run. But I, I must say, I do I do fear um, a midfield without Thomas Partey against Leeds. Uh, I don't think Arsenal can beat their press without Thomas Partey in the middle. I don't think they have the players that can beat their press. You see Thomas Partey, even Podge. If you watch Thomas Partey, even on the ball, like the way he manoeuvres the ball just to get out of a press, like it just goes to show how much of a cut above he is. Above above Arsenal midfielders, which isn't hard, I know, but like it just it just goes to show when you have someone of top top quality, it does make a difference to a team, um, to be able to get out of those situations. Because how many times have you seen a team like Arsenal being pressed because like Xhaka, you, you know, even he's had a lease of life now playing beside Party, 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not confident about the next few fixtures. I think, uh, yeah, uh, if we do a podcast in the next <laughs> two weeks, uh, I don't know how, how good a podcast, uh, how good a, good a mood I'll be in. <laughs> well, I suppose like putting that to pod, then obviously, obviously, parties a pivotal point in the Arsenal. Then you look, it's it's a similar situation, obviously, of how big a player like look at the difference obviously Bruno Fernandes has brought to that United team like he's easily uh, I think or is the one of the standout signings in the last one or two years easily in in England especially best um because he best signing he he changes the game for you whether it's I know everyone calls him Fernandes but even what when you watch what he can do obviously against Liverpool he scored the winning that beautiful free kick um which um I think I think I, I expected actually to happen when he came on and took the free kick. I actually expected him to score. I said this is probably going to be a goal, and lo and behold, he scored. But like that is something kind of that you need in a team, especially like an Arsenal right now. You need someone who can step up to the plate with uh, like what obviously Bruno Fernandez is doing for United. Yeah, I think it's just his work rate and everything it just brings on everyone around him to a different level. Um, I think the penal or the saying that he only scores penalties is fairly harsh on him. He's he's got so much more to his game than that, and he's scored some amount of absolute crackers already this season. Um, and as as City have shown on many occasions, scoring penalties isn't always easy anyway. So, no. um, but ah, uh, he's just he's been a, like he's changed United around completely. Like say when he came in last January or yeah, thirteen months ago, United were. Going along all right. I know we we're missing Rashford at the time as well, but he completely transformed us into the third best team in England behind Liverpool and City. And like from that period, from March after lockdown last season, we were just we were nearly unbeatable. Um, I think getting Pogba in beside him this year seems to have brought more out of the two of them. Um, I think I still think Pogba's on the way out. I just. With the agent's comments and everything, I just don't see a future at him for United. His agent is obviously speaking on his behalf. But even Bruno, like Rashford has improved. Like bringing in Cavani has been a, a big improvement because we, like, as good as Martial and Rashford are, they're just not out and out strikers. So I think we, we have recruited well in the last few years. But uh, I think since probably Van Persie, no one has come in and had the same impact as Bruno. Yeah, I think going on that penalty thing, like a free. He, Fernandez is that good that a free kick is basically a penalty for him. It's basically if you don't want to give away a free kick against United now because you see it, you seen David Luiz's reaction when he blocked it. Everyone said, "Oh, it's ridiculous," but like that was a vital block, <laughs> you know, in the wall. If you don't, if you, it's very good. You're, it's a very good block if you block a Fernandez free kick because it, in my eyes, it, it is a penalty. Like if Fernandez takes a free kick, he's that good, that accurate. Um, he's the best sign, and I think in Europe in the last year 100% he, a, a team for a player a player to to I don't know if he dragged them over the line for the Champions League last year but he definitely he definitely was a spark that ignited it and I think this year whether they, you think United had it were a title challengers or not he is the spark that ignites that and I think you need to build a team around him now um, I, I, 100% give him whatever he wants Maybe don't put him on Alexis Sanchez wages, 
because, but like, <laughs> but like, just just give him what he wants. Build a team that suits him because he is the player at the minute. Um, I, I think I think Pogba, yeah, I think his his agent is is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> I think he some agents need to learn how to shut their mouth. But I, I think I think by the murmurs that are going on, it sounds like he's leaving. But I I definitely think United being Manchester United can attract a better player than Pogba can attract the top players now again. There probably was a period there where maybe they couldn't have, but the likes of Cavani coming in, Fernandez coming in, Cavani is still a great player. Um, I think it just goes to show that United can still attract the best players and the best players want to play with other great players. And Fernandez is that main attraction at the minute. And I think they have to build a team around him. Same way Arsenal have to do it around Saka, Party, United Smith Raw, they definitely have to do it around um, around Fernandez. He's one hell of a player, and I'm and I, I I don't like him because he plays for United. I wish he played for Arsenal. I wish that 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 bad he played for Arsenal. If I, you ever, I don't like him though because this lad sitting beside me, the other lads in the house. Oh yeah. my god! Oh. <laughs> well, that's it too. Portugal all win the Euros or end up being talked about in the same round. <laughs> well, that's the thing now. Well, watching watching the United game, I was like, I was like, Jesus, I hate Fernandez, I hate his face. But then I realised the only reason I do is because he's so good, and that's good for United. Because I I think I think if if you hate another player from another team, it just goes to show how good they are. Yeah. Um, and I, like, and it's great to have a pantomime villain a villain on the United team again, uh, from an Arsenal uh, perspective, because uh, it, it makes it interesting now. So. Um, so yeah, no, he's he's definitely in my eyes the best signing in the last year in Europe. Definitely. Forty-five million. Yeah. Oh, steal. Was that forty-five million? Was he? Yeah, yeah. absolute bargain. What would you say? We, we give everything I owe for forty. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was. They in and order the Porsche and get a PO or a Seat or whatever. That's the best. That's the best. Piece of transfer business Arsenal ever done. That and thirty-five million for Oxley Chamberlain. Yeah. He's a better player. Got done for thirty-five million for Fabregas. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> we we paid 30, twenty for Van Persie, I think. Paid thirty-five for Mustafi. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Imagine he went to Liverpool. How funny would that have been? Ah uh, well, I think I think I think it's funny anyway. Probably. That Mustafi Mustafi's gone gone to a relegated team and then a a player from a rel uh, well close to relegation team, and uh, ended up one of the players from that team that are struggling as well has gone to Liverpool like it's just yeah I don't know are Schalke they're in trouble are they they're literally fight they're probably going to be relegated this season and literally two Arsenal players have gone there this season no better lads to help them <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, 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 <laughs> get relegated yeah. <laughs> fuck you know, that'll, get, that'll definitely do it for them anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. although I think they want to keep Kolasinac now I'm, I'm, I'm seeing so absolutely give us give us a couple of million and he's yours don't he's let security. him he's doing security over there he's, he's, he's <laughs> some man isn't he jeez yeah, that, the, that, that video of him fighting off two boys with machetes is that has to be yeah, that, that's, that's the most incredible video I've ever watched maybe he's they chopped beast. off uh, Oz's left foot that's why he was <laughs> maybe yeah fair, that was the highlight in class yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> that, that, is, that is absolutely his highlight Jesus Christ oh man <laughs> oh, def- definitely could, 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 talk, could talk about this all day but I suppose uh, 
we've gone for a fair bit of time, so it's probably best to uh, to sign off from here. Um, so I suppose thank you again for joining us for this episode, Podge and Hatch. Always great to have new people on the episode, and great to get the input input on many few many topics. I suppose. Thanks, Medley, for having us, boys. Thanks for having us, Kano. Ah, no worries. And um, thanks again, Tommy, for joining. As always, it's nice to have you on regularly. It's uh, good to have different voices for a change. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll come back. <laughs> exactly um if you've enjoyed the episode and would like to get involved in a future episode just hit myself or tommy up it's at littlemar10 on social media and for tommy it's at tominator underscore 176 uh, we would be happy to have you on a future episode thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more